Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Today this is lesson 13. I know y'all are keeping up. You're keeping count. This is the 13th lesson. We will finish today and we will be halfway through with the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'm feeling really good about that. Happy with where we are and where we're going. Today is sort of a continuation of what we talked about last week. Last week our lesson, uh, Solomon dealt with uh, some issues that are related to, to money. And, and really, we understand that based on Scripture, money is not our problem. Okay? Money is not our problem. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't have enough. That's a problem. I, and I, that, I, can't, I can't argue that. I can't argue that. Um, <clears throat> but what I do know, based on what we've studied so far, and we're, we're not done talking about money in Ecclesiastes. He's going to bring it up again, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, too. Last week, we looked at some things that we, we kind of disproved. And at the end of the day, his, his message to us last week, today, henceforth and forevermore, is just to be content with what, give, with what God gives you. And today is another one of those, uh, uh, you know, the, the, what was the Robin Williams movie? Um, uh, uh, seize the, the Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, y'all, whatever that was. A Dead Poet Society. And there was a, a phrase in that movie, carpe diem. It's, it's Latin for seize the day. Take advantage of the day. You have to live through the day because you don't know how many more you got. So quit chasing tomorrow. Quit chasing the future. Quit chasing other things and stop and enjoy the day that you have. Okay? It's a lesson that, that Solomon clearly has for us and he wants us to understand. So again, he's not talking about money being the problem. He's talking about our chasing of money, our love of money. Scripture is clear. Money is not the root of all evil, right? The love of money is the root of all evil, okay? So again, the message is not really about money. Money is just the thing that he talks about because so many of us in our lives, especially outside these doors, are chasing after those things, right? They're chasing after stuff. They're chasing after things that only money can buy. Now, as I was typing all of this up this morning, I came up with three questions that just started rolling around through my head, okay? The first one is, why does Solomon keep sharing the same thing over and over and over again? We talked about this in staff meeting a couple weeks ago. We talked about it on Wednesday night. Why does God keep giving the same message to His people over and over again? And the answer, the answer is, we're not real bright. I mean, I, sorry, <laughs> I'm including myself in that too, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we stray. Sometimes we hear it and hear it and hear it, and we still don't remember what He's told us to do. All right? So today, another lesson on contentment. Another lesson on that. And the answer is, why do we keep talking about this same thing over and over again? Because we don't get it. Like our kids, we have to keep telling our kids the same things over and over and over and over again. If I had a dollar for every time I asked my youngest child to clean his bedroom, y'all, you wouldn't see me around here very much. 
<laughs> I'd be off doing something else on a cruise ship all the time or something because he forgets. But look, I can't get on to him. Why? Because I'm the same way. I forget. My forgetter, I had a preacher one time said, my forgetter work, works full time. And that's who we are, right? That's who we are as people. The second question that sort of rolled around in my mind this morning is how do we ever get to where we can be content with what God has given us? And the better question is where does contentment come from? If we're going to be content with what God has given us, we have to just trust God. It only comes from God. And, and look, he's telling you contentment doesn't come from money. Contentment doesn't come from relationships. All, let's think back through all the things that Solomon, through the first five chapters, has tried. He's tried money. He's tried women. He's tried alcohol. He's tried work. He's tried everything, literally his words, everything under the sun. And all of it is vanity. Futility, the, the, the Hebrew word, hevel, hevel, it's useless, it serves no purpose, okay? So how do we get contentment? We have to look to God, that's the only thing, and he's going to tell us that today. The third question is this, and this is a powerful question, why would God bless us with more if we aren't satisfied with what we have? I think, I think, I think we understand, we know about enough about the character of God to know that He, he starts us with little. And if He thinks He can trust us with that, then he, he, he may give us a little bit more. And if He thinks He can trust us with that... And I'm not talking... Again, this is not a money conversation, strictly. This is talent. This is a time. This is a, a, a outreach. All of these things. He, if, if He trusts you and He sees that He can trust you with little... And I'm not, here's, the, here's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you don't have much money in your account, God doesn't trust you. I'm not saying that. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But we do see, but it's a great question, right? Why would God bless us with more if He knows we're not satisfied with what we have? Because here's the thing, God knows you're not going to be satisfied with that either. Right? That's what Solomon's been telling us all this time. You can keep chasing, you can keep chasing, you can keep chasing, and you can keep getting and keep getting and keep getting, and you're going to keep being dissatisfied with all of that. The same lesson that we talked about in last week's lesson with John Rockefeller. Man, you can have, you can have, but he worried himself. He was sick as a dog. He lived a poor quality of life until he realized his money wasn't really his anyway. And at that point... His life improved, his quality of life improved. He lived on up into his 90s. I mean, it was just it was a great, great lesson. So today, we're going to get into chapter 6. Again, the whole chapter. We're going to get the whole chapter in one day. That would be twice in the last three or four weeks we've covered a whole chapter at one time. I know y'all are shocked. It's only 12 verses, though. It's not like I'm rushing through, you know, 40 verses to get there. All right, let's read it together. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet, <laughs> there's that, that really big word right in the middle of that. Yet, God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is a vanity and a, and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he. 
For it comes in futility and goes in obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Verse 6, even if the other man lives a thousand years twice, 2,000 years, by the way, and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have, knowing how to walk before the living? What the eye sees is better than what the soul desires. I don't know what yours says, but I got that underlined. You should underline that. We're going to talk about that. That's a really important line right there. This too is futility and a striving after wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the years of his futile life, he will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? All right, so let's look at this. Verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6 are our first section here. And and this, this tells us that oftentimes our riches are enjoyed more by others than they are by us. Our riches are often and get to, get to be enjoyed more by others than we enjoy them. So Solomon begins by talking about this evil. He says it right there in verse 1. There's an evil which I have seen under the sun. It's prevalent. It's common. It's everywhere. Not rare at all, right? It's a man that's been given everything. Given everything, right? Verse 2, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. This is, this is the man that Solomon tells us about. Now, what we don't know is Solomon telling us about Solomon. Or is Solomon just making this up as an example? His second man that he's going to talk about is an example because it's not possible. But this, what we don't know, is Solomon talking about himself here or is he, is he just giving a... a, a, a a hypothetical person that could just be rich but doesn't get to enjoy it. This is not a new thought that he's talking about, right? This this concept that we don't enjoy but others get to enjoy it. We've talked about this several times. People who have much but don't take the time to enjoy what they have, okay? So now listen, I want you to think about this. This story doesn't have to be about God. I want you to just stop and think about this. Now, it is, and I want you to understand that it, that's, it, it should be, and your life should be, but it doesn't have to be about God. Even, even rich people that don't have God, this should still apply to them. They should still take time. And I'm not talking about rich people. All people, even if they don't have God, should still take time to stop the rat race, to stop the chasing of things, and enjoy what they have. So look... Solomon's telling this not as godly wisdom, but just as wisdom to anybody, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to keep doing this. You don't have to keep running this race. You don't have to keep chasing these things. But listen, we, we can take God out of this equation, and it doesn't really change anything. But now, we, we simply should do as an expression of love for God. Why? Because He's given you two commands in your life. The first is to rest. 
He tells you to rest. If you go back into Genesis, on the sixth day, first six days, He created all these things. On the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. He created a Sabbath day. He tells us that we are to take that day. We should rest. We should follow the example of God and we should rest. The other thing He tells us in Scripture is we are His temple, right? So we should stop and slow down from time to time just to take care of this temple that God has given us. So again, take money out of this equation altogether. Those are still commands from God. Those are still things that we are supposed to do, instructed by God to take care of ourselves and to slow down. And when we do those things that He tells us to do, that is an expression, hey, it's Valentine's Day. It's an expression of our love for Him because we honor Him by doing what He has asked us to do. All right, so now... I've got, I've got more Wearsby quotes in my notes today than I've got in my own writing. So I'm going to give you several as we go along, okay? I literally have three, four, five, five different quotes today that I'm going to give you. And I'm going to give you three right in a row, okay? Warren Wearsby, not Casey, right? He said, for Solomon, however, he says this. He says, it was a basic principle that nobody can truly enjoy the gifts of God apart from God who gives the gifts. Right? Nobody has the ability to enjoy the gifts that God gives apart from being in relationship with the God who is the giver of those gifts. So when he talks about contentment, you know, I asked the question up front, where does contentment come from? This is what he's talking about. We want to enjoy the gifts that God has given us, but the only way we can truly find joy and peace and satisfaction and contentment in those things is inside the relationship that we have with God the Father. You cannot enjoy the gifts of God without having the relationship with God. Okay? So that was the first quote. The next one says this, to enjoy the gifts without the giver is idolatry. To enjoy the gifts without the giver is idolatry, and this can never satisfy the human heart. All right? So the first one was you can't enjoy the gifts of God without being in relationship with God. The second one says to enjoy those gifts without, without God or relationship with God is nothing more than making those things your God. Idolatry. Look, we see throughout Scripture, right? Uh, Matthew mentioned it Sunday morning. Uh, Moses went up on the mountain and while he's up on the mountain receiving the commandments what's going on down here they build a little gold calf and they're worshiping it and they're just having a good old time right they don't even worry about God right then in that moment because they don't need him because Moses has gone off Moses has been there way longer than they thought he should be there so here they are down here and they're just going to build their thing and they're going to worship and they've made their own idol. And look, we're the same way If if I enjoy my car if I enjoy my house if I enjoy my you name it and I do it outside of a relationship with God, then that has become my God. It has become that thing in which I try to find satisfaction and peace and contentment. And look, in chapter 5 last week, he told you you're not going to find it. All right, now the third thing. This is good. This is the best quote of the three. Enjoyment without God 
Okay, enjoyment of those things, those gifts he's given you. Enjoyment without God, he first says is idolatry, and then he says it's merely entertainment. All right, listen, this is good, y'all. Enjoyment without God is merely entertainment, and it does not satisfy. Enjoyment of those things that God has blessed you with when you don't credit God. Ms. Dora said it a while ago. I, I'm just, I just praise God. I thank Him for letting me be here. That's a gift, right? It's a gift. And so without that relationship, then it just becomes entertainment value. It just becomes something that doesn't have deep meaning. But listen to this, the rest of that quote. But enjoyment with God is enrichment and it brings true joy and satisfaction. So enjoyment without God is merely there just to keep you amused and entertained. But with God, it brings enrichment. It fulfills you. It satisfies you. It, 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 it completes you, for lack of a better term. And it brings joy and satisfaction. Man, that's good stuff. Golly, that's good stuff, right? It points us to, again, our need to trust in God and to be in relationship with God and to thank God for whatever it is that He has blessed us with and try to enjoy it inside the context of a relationship with God. Because you, he, He's pretty clear, you can't, you can't enjoy these things without God because they become your God. They just become something to... to Occupy your time. But when you put God back in the equation, you, you find contentment. We asked that question up front. Where does contentment come from? It comes from God. You find in contentment. You find satisfaction. You find joy. You find peace. Things that only come from God, not from stuff. Not from stuff. Right? So now, again, we're not sure if this person in verse 2 is real, but listen, the story is sad whether it's real or make-believe. If you continue on verses 3 through 6, we see, uh, no, before we get to 3 through 6, we see a man who, who owns it all but has no heir to inherit it. He has no family to stick around. Now, verses 3 through 6 tell us a different guy. Now, Ms. Pat brought this up a minute ago. And I think that this story is hypothetical. I don't think that this story is, is Solomon. I don't think it's anybody. Because he says here this. Let's read verses 3 through 6. If a man fathers a hundred children... All right, let's just stop right there and think about how that would be, right? Doesn't sound great. Doesn't sound great, right? If a man fathers a hundred children... And lives many years. He's got, to, he's got to live a long time for that to happen, all right? However many they may be. So listen, ignore that part. Ignore that part because the next line is the important one. He says, but his soul is not satisfied with good things. And he does not have a proper burial. In other words, he's got these hundred children, but the, he doesn't have a proper burial means that these kids hate him. They despise him. They don't want anything to They're not going to take it for him. They're going to stick around. Long enough to see what they're going, to, they're going to get. So the commentary read, they're going to stick around long enough for the will to be read, right? But they're out. They don't care if he's buried. They don't care what happens to him. A terrible, terrible lot in life. So that's how we know not Solomon, right? Okay, so now he says, Then I say better the miscarriage, yours may say better to be stillborn than to have 
live this life. Now, Solomon's big on this, uh, I would call it hyperbole or exaggeration. Because, look, I don't think any of us really have ever felt like, well, I would have rather just not ever been born. And if you have, then maybe that's another conversation for another day we need to have. But um, this, this, this exaggeration or this, this hyperbole, if you will, it's, it's really just to make the point that it would have been better to have not been born than to have lived the life that this man lived. Okay, so now, he also says this, and I want to bring, but let's, let's, go back to the, let's go back to the hundred children real quick. All right, the next thing he says about this guy is that he, if, even if he lived a thousand years twice, so in other words, if he, even if he lived 2,000 years and had a hundred children, wow, golly, that sounds like a, I don't know. He, we don't know, we don't know, we've never read of anywhere that a, hundred, a person had a hundred children, especially not in a monogamous relationship. Yeah, I mean, he may have, he may have, but now, I don't know that we see a number. What we do see is Solomon's son, Rehoboam, had 88 kids, but listen, he had 18 wives and 60 concubines. He didn't do it in the context of just a good old loving marriage, right? Poor lady probably wouldn't have made it after about 72, I mean, or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> he may not have. <laughs> so, what I, anyway, anyway that's, that's all for free. What we, what we do see here is Solomon's point through all of this is no matter how much you possess, no matter how much you, relationships, things, stuff, if you don't have the power to enjoy it, he says basically it was better that you were never born. Yeah. Yeah, her, her point is, you know, if, if, if you did this and you didn't acknowledge God, if you fathered a hundred children and you didn't acknowledge God, pride would probably come into play. Especially, uh, it's going to sound strange, I think, as a man, you'd be really proud of, of, of all of that. And you'd be, and again, this is outside the context of God. I'm not talking about a godly man. I'm talking about a worldly man outside the context of God would probably be really proud of what he had accomplished. But look, Pride has no place. We mentioned it last week. The Bible says pride does what? It comes before a fall. If you're prideful, if you're proud of all this stuff and you don't acknowledge God, it's probably not going to end well for you. Okay? So now, the second section, verses 7 through 9, we're going to see that you can work without satisfaction. Now, as Solomon often does, he compares the rich man from the first few verses, and if you wonder if he, if, who he's talking about being rich, both men that were mentioned in that story, the first one was, was rich, but he didn't have anybody to share it with. The second man was rich, obviously, because he had a lot of mouths to feed. None of them really had it figured out, right? But as he often does, he now compares the rich men from the first few verses, to somebody that has less. He compares the rich and the poor, or yours may say the wise man and the fool, because wisdom was equated to riches, foolishness was equated to, to, to poorness, or to, 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 to um, not poverty, to not having much money. So basically he says here, it's verse 7, he says, All man's labor is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not satisfied. Now, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to talk Baptist here for you just a minute. Man, I like to eat. Anybody like to eat? It's one of my favorite things to do. 
Yeah, yeah. How many times have you been sitting at a meal? We're, we're, our family's bad, especially when we're on vacation, when we, when we have unlimited opportunities that we don't have here. We go to the same six restaurants here just like everybody else does. We just, just go in a circle. We are bad about sitting at one meal talking about where the next one's going to be. So he says, all your labor, all your work is for your mouth. In other words, it's to provide food so that you can continue to live. But what does he also say in verse 7? And yet, <laughs> that appetite is not satisfied. I mean, look, I've had some really, I've had some really good meals in my life. I, I, I literally can name you some of my favorites. When I was in Louisiana, we went to this hole in, wall, hole in the wall on a men's ministry because men apparently like to eat steak. You only do that with men's ministries. And we went to this steakhouse. And it, when I tell you, like, Fayette is New York City compared to what this little hole in the wall town was. And I, I was not optimistic about this place until the door opened and I walked inside. And you go, you go, yeah, the smell, the smell, obviously, but you, have you ever been in those places that have like the pictures of all the famous people who have been there? Anybody who had ever been famous in Louisiana, their picture, their autographed picture was on the wall in this place. And this, this again was, let's see, probably 06, 07. That night I ate a $50 steak. Right? Which today would probably be a $100 steak. And I look, I was broke. I didn't have, Jennifer wasn't working. I called her that night and I apologized to her. I said, Jennifer, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I mean, I've ordered it. I can't, I'm not, they're not going to wait for me to wash dishes. I've got to pay for it. I'm so sorry. This will never happen again, which was not, that was a false promise. It has happened again. And that, y'all, was the best thing I have ever eaten in my entire life. It literally was so soft and tender and juicy, I didn't want to chew it. Like I was just like, I'm just going to just let this sit here for a minute. It was so, you didn't really, I mean, you literally just sort of ran a knife through it and the little slice fell right off. Best thing I have ever eaten in my life. But you know what? I had to eat again the next day. It didn't matter how good it was. And I've had, I've had steaks since then. But you know what? Hey, look, I ate, I ate two meals on Monday. I ate, I ate yesterday. Had a little light snack last night. You know what? I'm, my stomach's growling right now. The point of that is we work. We work. We labor. He says here in verse 7, we labor to, for our mouth. We labor to eat. We work to eat. Actually, I'm to the point I kind of eat for sport now. But we work to eat. But listen, it satisfies until it's gone. And that doesn't take long. I mean, we eat what? Two or three times a day. And you're going to, again, you're going to eat two or three times. And then the next day, guess what? You're going to eat two or three times. And then Sunday and Saturday is going to come and you're going to have to eat again. 
Because nothing you have eaten to this point has been enough to satisfy you for your entire life. It's the reason that, 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 water, that woman at the well story in, in, in the New Testament is so powerful. She went for water, right? You know what I'm talking about? She went for water, brought her bucket, and Jesus says, I'm going to promise you something far greater than what's in that well. I'm going I'm to provide, provide for you a water that you'll never thirst again. She had no clue what he was talking about. She had no clue what he was talking about. But what he was talking about was something that would provide peace and joy and contentment. He was that living water. So here we see this, right? So Solomon then asked in verse 8, he asked two questions. He asked question number one in verse 8. He says, for what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? And the second question he asked, what advantage does the poor man have? So he's taken in verses 1 through 7, he's taken rich men, he's taken poor men, he's analyzed them and looked at all the things that they have to offer, and he asked two questions. What, is, what advantage does one have over the other? And the answer to both of those is zero. They have no advantage over the other. In other words, he says it's really and truly no better off to be loaded, filthy rich than it is to be dirt poor. And again, we live in a society, some of you now are even going, nah, I'm not real sure about that. But his point is, especially outside the context of a relationship with God, it's, there's no advantage. Because what's, what's he said so far, you're, going, you're still going to end up dead. You're going to go home, you're going to go to wherever your eternal home is with absolutely nothing. Into this world, you can, naked you came, and just out, out you're going to go naked He's already told you your, your meals don't, they, they got to get you by for a little bit, but they're, they're gone. They don't satisfy. Basically, his point is just what Jesus told that woman in the New Testament, right? The only thing that's going to satisfy you is me. And Solomon is telling that story now. There was another quote. Here it is, quote number four from Warren Wearsby. He was good today. He's good all the time, but he was really good in this context. He said, what good is it for me to add years to my life if I don't add life to my years? Some of y'all, some of y'all, as we, as, our, as that number, when somebody asks you how old you are, as that number gets bigger and bigger, you understand more and more the importance of that. It's not about how long you live, it's about how much you live. It's not about how long you live, it's about what you accomplish during those during those years. And again, I'm not talking about jobs and, and, and paychecks. And I'm talking about, when I talk about accomplishments, I talk about what you do for God. What you do that's kingdom building, right? Because that's really what he wants from us in the grand scheme of things anyway. In verse 9, he says this. I told y'all earlier to underline this because this is so good. What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. How many of you have ever heard the expression, it's better to have one bird in the hand than two in the bush? i got to be honest, I've heard that for years. My dad probably used that expression a lot, and I don't know if he ever said it right. Um, we, we joked about it through the years. I don't, I don't, until this morning, I don't know that I've ever really stopped and thought about what that meant. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean I've heard it. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times. But this expression that Solomon uses here is basically the same thing. What's the, what's, what's the advantage of one bird in the hand over two in the bush? You have one. <laughs> and you know, it's kind of like Jesus leaving the 99 to go get the one, right? I mean, now Jesus was going to get that one, but we, we, we may give up the one and not get the two. 
which case we'd have been much better off just to have the one, right? So now Solomon in verse 9 says this, better what the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. In other words, what you have around you, what, you're, what you can visualize, what you can see, is better than what you might could have. It's better than what you possibly could attain. Better to just enjoy what you have than to spend time on that, on that hamster wheel just going in the same spot over and over and over again and not ending up with any more. Because when you're on that hamster wheel and it's spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, you're not enjoying this one bird you've got in the hand over here. You're chasing two and it's, it's probably going to end up in futility. Because right, everything that Solomon tells us about is futility. It's vanity. It, it serves no point. Now, the last little part, verses 10 through 12. He stops here and he, he looks at this one final situation that we have in life. And the thing is this, y'all. There are going to be questions that we're never going to get an answer to. Right? You have lots of questions about life that you've never gotten an answer to. And I'm, I'm, I'm not even talking about deep theological things. But, you know, some of you here today, you've lost a spouse. And I know for a fact you, you wonder why. You've asked why. Why? Why, God? Why? And look, there may not ever be an answer. Some of you have, have, have had job situations that took place where you may have lost a job somewhere along the way. And you, and you go, why, God? Why me, God? Why did this have to happen? And look, there's, no, there's not always an answer. Certainly not a one that's going to provide peace and contentment. So he says, through this passage, sometimes there are answers, uh, there are questions in life that do not have answers. Solomon tried to point out that true happiness is not the automatic result of making a good living, but it's the blessed byproduct of making a good life. One more Wearsby quote, he says, If you devote your life only to the pursuit of happiness, you will be miserable. However, if you devote your life to doing God's will, you will find happiness as well. But Solomon also knew that life was not going to answer all of your questions. and, and It's just the way it goes. This insecurity in us, this not knowing everything, which is really what we want, right? We feel entitled. We want to know everything. We think God should tell us everything. We should know why every single little thing happens. And y'all, that's not faith. <laughs> that's, not, that's not trust. Because sometimes we just have to get out of the way and say, God, I don't, I don't even know what you're doing. I don't, know, I don't know why you did that. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you want from me. I don't... I, why in the world is any of this even taking place? Faith is at the end of that expression of feelings following Him anyway. Trusting Him anyway. That's when we, when we understand that, that, that God is who He says He's going to be. And, and look, y'all, sometimes answers don't lead to peace and security. We can get answers to an x-ray or, or an MRI results well, look, that's not, that doesn't heal anything. That's exactly right. We need to sometimes, He just wants us to let go and let God, right? Let go of it. Stop worrying about it. Stop trying to figure out the answer to everything that you don't need to know. If God wanted you to know, guess what? He'd tell you, right? If God wanted you to know 
He'd tell you. And sometimes it's not for us to know. We can get an explanation for why we lost a job or why, and you can still walk out and it doesn't fix anything. Sometimes answers don't fix the problem, y'all. They don't change the outcome. They don't change the solution. They don't, they don't change our outlook on things. The answers sometimes are just what they are. They're just, they're just answers, but they don't. But, and we spend so much time trying to figure out why. In Job, Job kept arguing with God. He kept questioning God. He kept trying to figure out what was going on in his life. He kept getting God to try, try, trying to get God to explain why and what was going on in his life. But listen to this, the last quote this morning. Knowledge in the mind does not guarantee healing in the heart. Knowledge in the mind, knowing why, knowing what, knowing where, knowing when, knowing who, does not guarantee that this is going to be fixed. Sometimes it probably makes it worse. You're exactly right. Sometimes it probably would make it worse. Solomon has concluded, y'all, that life is tiring, it's monotonous, it's empty. What's his word? Vanity. It's vain. It's all, it's all useless. Unless you stop and depend on God to take care of you. If you stop and de- to thank God for what He's done for you, for the blessings He's given you, unless you stop We've said it a hundred times. Unless you stop and smell the roses somewhere along the way. Because why is not going to fix it. But stopping to enjoy can, can help things. Then and only then will we, will, we, will, it, will we be full. Will we be satisfied. We asked the question earlier, where does contentment come from? Contentment only comes from a relationship with God. And listen to this. The closer you are to God, the more content you will be. That's not even Wearsby. I, I, I wrote that down. The closer you are to God, the more content you will be. Why? Because you'll stop chasing all that. You, he'll take care of you and you'll stop chasing all that stuff that doesn't matter. Because you know you can trust Him. Because you know He's going to meet your needs. You've seen it. Listen, y'all have seen this, this room full of people, you've seen God's faithfulness. I know you have. You've seen God work. You've seen God answer prayers. You've seen God do miracles. You've had downs. You've had valleys. God has been there through every one of those. Right? You've seen it. You trust it. You've seen it. So trust it, right? So they say seeing is believing. You've seen it. You've, you've felt it. You've experienced God work in your life. Trust that He's not going to stop today. He's going to keep going. Turn to Him. The closer you are to God, the more content you will be in your life. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071 and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.